Lord God, you are good and gracious. You're kind and merciful. You're loving. We do not deserve to receive any of these things from you that come from the, the greatness of your character that you have loved us and saved us in your son, Jesus Christ. And we can only turn to you in humility and thanksgiving for what you have done. And so we thank you and praise you together as your church this day. Now as we gather before your word, we pray that you would do your work of speaking to our hearts to grow us and change us and refine us, sanctify us as your people to do your will for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Zoe Community Church. It's good to see all of you. We're glad you all are here. Um, I think about a third of our church is actually out sick right now. And so we really are glad that you all are here, that you have been spared. Um, if you're here and you are sick, just try not to cough on anyone. But if you don't know me, uh, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here, and I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving despite the sicknesses. It's good to have the kids with us in service today as well, so welcome you all. Uh, it's our tradition on Thanksgiving to have a family service with everyone together. However, we won't be doing our other Thanksgiving tradition today, which is hearing testimonies from people uh, sharing their thanksgivings to the Lord. I know that's always encouraging and that you're probably disappointed that's not happening, but we just kind of wanted to keep this year simple um, since for the past few weeks and also going into Christmas, we've had a lot of special Sundays, um, including having a week off for retreat as well. So we wanted to keep this Thanksgiving Sunday kind of simple, but we will keep another Thanksgiving tradition, which is we will preach about Thanksgiving. All right. Eric said last year that we could never exhaust all the Thanksgiving texts in Scripture, but we'll at least check one more off today. So please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now I realize, especially coming into the church this morning, that Thanksgiving is probably already in the rearview mirror for most of y'all already, and it's full steam ahead towards Christmas. You've already put up the tree. Holiday music is on the radio 24-7 now. You probably, if you're diligent, finished all of your gift shopping on Black Friday. Thanksgiving is over and done. But for the Christian, giving thanks is not just a once-a-year deal, right? It's not a box that we check off as we hurtle toward the next big spiritual thing. Now, I know you all know that already. And it is nice to have a designated time of year to be especially and intentionally thankful we're in a season that basically obligates us to give thanks and helps us to remember that if we just stop and think about it for a millisecond, we have so much to be thankful for. We are truly blessed. But if we forget about being thankful, except when we're reminded to by the calendar and by society to do so, then we're in trouble. That's what we want to talk about today. If that's the case, we'd be like a husband who only loves his wife on Valentine's Day. Or like a student who only studies to pass the exam and not to learn the material. Or like a teenager who only hops up to his chores when he hears his mom's car coming up the driveway. We're not supposed to be occasionally thankful when we're reminded or whenever it happens to cross our minds. It's supposed to be who we are. Giving thanks is supposed to be an all-encompassing characteristic of the Christian life. And Ephesians 5.20 says exactly that. Now remember, before we read it, the context of Ephesians is that Paul is explaining how the message of the gospel, how the doctrine of salvation changes the way that believers, that Christians are supposed to act and live and do everything. And so let me read from chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, and we'll go to 21. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And this is our verse. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. If you look at these verses, you find four things that believers are supposed to do, four ways we are supposed to be. In English, they're given as four ongoing actions, as, na- as verbs excuse me, that end with I-N-G, right? First, addressing one another in all sorts of song. Second, singing and making melody to God. Third, giving thanks. And fourth, submitting to one another. And so we find giving thanks here among the things that Paul says ought to characterize Christian living. The reason for thankfulness, along with all the rest, is not because of a seasonal obligation or even because we're commanded to. God never says, thou shalt be thankful. So where does musical worship, thanksgiving, and submitting to one another come from? Not obligation, not even obedience, but what? The end of verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. That's the structure of this text. Being filled with the Spirit is the header over these four things. If we are truly spirit-filled, Paul says, we must naturally exhibit these hallmarks of all believers. When the Holy Spirit fills us, this is what he causes us to do. You know, people out there have all sorts of ideas of what manifestations of the spirits are supposed to look like. They say, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you have to speak in tongues. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then you'll prophesy or you'll fall on the ground. You'll experience holy laughter. But what does it say here? Evidence of being spirit-filled is that we sing to each other. Now, I love musicals probably way more than the next guy. But as much as I love musicals, it'd be really weird to live in one. Right? I appreciate the parodies where someone in the musical becomes aware of the fact and they ask, hey, why is everybody singing? But according to the text, life in the spirit is supposed to be a musical with us not only singing to God, but first to each other, to exhort and encourage and instruct. And if the Spirit of God is in us, we'll also be thankful. And that's our verse today, verse 20. So let's read it again. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to break down this one verse into four parts, following the verse. I didn't have to do much work here. We're going to talk about giving thanks always, giving thanks for everything, giving thanks to God the Father, and giving thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll split those four ideas into two groups. First, what is inside of us, okay? We'll look at the habits and the heart of thanksgiving. And the last two will be what is outside of us, which show us the goal and the glory of thanksgiving. So getting into it, we'll start with ourselves. The first phrase in verse 20 is give thanks always. And this teaches us the habit of thanksgiving, the habit of thanksgiving. It answers the question, when do you give thanks? When do you give thanks? If you think about it, and you kids will think about it too, when do you give thanks? The answer for many of you is at mealtimes, right? I think the vast majority, perhaps, of your thankfulness, maybe 90% of it, of thanksgiving in prayer happens just habitually around the dinner table. Now, don't get me wrong, praying before meals is great. In fact, the Bible even uh, tells us explicitly that Jesus gave thanks before feeding the 5,000, before feeding the 4,000, at the Last Supper, before he distributed the, the bread and the cup. And then after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, he 
said grace before meals. Now, have you ever wondered where the term saying grace comes from? How did the words saying grace come to mean giving thanks? I mean, even in Spanish, right? Thank you is gracias. And in Italian, grace is grazie. Grace, grace. You see it in these languages. You see it in the Greek as well. The Greek word for giving thanks is eucharisteo. The word breaks down in the prefix eu, which means good, and the root word charis, which means grace, good grace. When we give thanks, we are expressing good grace. In other words, we grace someone with our gratitude. Now, the word also implies that we first received a good grace from the giver. Eucharisteo might have also conveyed the idea that we have been well-favored. Eucharist, well-favored. That is, we've received a gift of good grace. So you see a reciprocal idea here in this word. Upon receiving a gift and recognizing that we've received grace from someone else, we too return and give back freely in gratitude to the giver. Thanksgiving. In other words, we say grace. We recognize the grace given to us, and we give back the gracious gift of our gratitude. We say grace. Now, saying grace isn't just for three times a day at meals. It's a good habit to begin, but it's not good enough because what does this text say? We must give thanks always. Always, all the time. We're talking about an ongoing perpetual gratitude, recognizing that throughout the day, all day, every day, every moment is a grace from God. Every sunrise, every coffee, every conversation, every errand, every footstep, every breath, Imagine if we said grace before each of these things. Grace before every bath. Grace before every business meeting. Grace before every bowel movement. That sounds as absurd as living in a musical, does it not? Sounds worse, but we'd be getting closer to Paul's ideal. It's biblical. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. In everything you do, whatever you do, give thanks to God. But you might ask, always? Really? Practically, that feels impossible. I mean, we're told to do a lot of things always. Pray always, rejoice in the Lord always, always abound in the work of the Lord, always seek to do good to everyone. How can we always do all of these things and still have time to cook dinner? The answer is, each of these things we are to always do, I believe has less to do with behavior and more to do with our disposition. Let me explain. Whenever we are supposed to have an ongoing action, what we need first is an underlying attitude. For example, to rejoice always means to have a cheerful disposition that comes from trusting in God. To always abound in God's work means to have a heart of service and readiness. To always seek to do good to others means to have a selfless and sacrificial spirit. To pray always means to live constantly mindful of our absolute dependence on God. Does that make sense? In the same way, the only way that the act of thanksgiving will ever govern our lives is if first we have a particular attitude undergirding it. What is that attitude? I believe the underlying disposition of a life of gratitude is humility. Humility. 
The one who is humble views everything as an undeserved blessing, views everything as a grace from God, and therefore returns grace to the Lord in thanksgiving. I'll give you an example. Let's say at work, you're told you can earn a bonus if you achieve a certain goal, a certain metric at work. And so you work really hard, and in the end, you get that bonus. Now, that bonus did not come out of the boss's goodwill. You earned it. You accomplished it. You achieved it. And so who is there to credit but yourself? Getting what you think you deserve doesn't lead to thankfulness. Or what about this scenario? Let's say there's no bonus. But imagine you just performed so extremely well this year at work, you are hoping to be recognized with a promotion. But instead, when your annual review comes around, they just give you a fancy plaque with your name on it. When you receive something, and God forbid it's less than what you think you deserve, how does that make you feel? Definitely not thankful. So, if you are proud, on the one hand, when you get what you think you deserved, you are ungrateful. And if you are proud when you don't get what you thought you deserved, you're also ungrateful. So the issue isn't whether you get or don't get something. The issue is what you thought you deserved. Does that make sense? The problem is pride. This is the problem with entitlement, thinking that something is supposed to be done for you. And when things don't happen in the way or to the degree that you desired, oh boy, someone better watch out. Pride is the enemy of gratitude. But what if we were truly humble? Maybe the guy in the next cubicle over knows he doesn't deserve that job, and privately you know it too. He's underqualified. He was just at the right place at the right time. He's not expecting a raise. He just works hard day after day, keeping his head down and his nose to the grindstone because he's glad to just have the work. And whatever extra he receives, no matter how small, even if just cake in the break room or something, he is the most grateful. Why? Because humility is the perspective that underlies perpetual gratitude. What about you? Are you a constantly grateful person? Is habitual thankfulness your thing? And honestly, for me, the answer is no. I don't always or immediately think to thank God for all the little things or even all the big things. And if that's you too, perhaps it is because we lack humility. Perhaps it's because we see ourselves as deserving. For example, we take things for granted. And when we do that, what are we saying but that we deserve a comfortable life? Or what about when we complain? When we do that, what are we saying except that we deserve better? Or when God answers a prayer and we fail to thank him and instead we just move on to the next in the list of all our requests, what are we saying when we do that? It's that we expect God to give us what we want because that's just what a loving God is supposed to do. And all of those are lies. Those are all lies. Those are things that reveal that our hearts firmly believe the lie that we deserve anything at all. And here's the warning. If we find that we are ungrateful or unfeeling toward what God has given us, toward his good and gracious gifts, that is evidence that deep down in our heart of hearts, we believe we are worthy of more. That we deserve more of God's goodness. That his grace is insufficient for me. 
Brothers and sisters, if we are not grateful, we are in danger of acting entitled toward God, even with regard to our salvation. The fact is we are not worthy of any of it. So the key to gratitude is humility. The habit of thankfulness comes out of a humble disposition before God, and only then will we give thanks, always. Secondly, give thanks for everything. And this shows us the heart of thanksgiving. We turn from the when to the what, what for. The heart of thanksgiving is that we are able to be thankful no matter what. Our thankfulness is not dependent on our circumstances, our mood, or anything else. And you see, this isn't, this isn't about applying the last point and developing a new habit so strong that it overpowers and overcomes every situation, no matter how bad. This is about cultivating a heart that is able to be thankful, no matter how badly things are going. Giving thanks for everything means that we can't let our thankfulness ebb and flow with our circumstances. It's natural and it's easy to be more thankful when things are going well, right? When work is steady, when our health is good, when our relationships are great. We give thanks for a successful project launch, for a passing grade, for a new baby. But what happens when you lose the sale? What happens when your car gets totaled? When your loved one abandons you? When you get that difficult diagnosis? Paul explained earlier before where we started reading in verse 15, that the days are evil. Our world is marked by suffering and futility. It's been corrupted by sin and the fall. And so adversity, calamity, and pain are all part of this life. But the mark of the spirit-filled believer is our thanksgiving in the midst of this present darkness. You see, what does Paul not say? Paul doesn't say that because the days are evil, we must live in fear and terror and caution at the foreboding world with all its imminent dangers out to get you. The Christian must not be swayed by fear, but we must be wise, seeking to understand the will of the Lord. And do you want to know God's will? Look no further than 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is that you give thanks, that you be thankful no matter what, in all circumstances. But how can we be thankful in trials, in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of suffering? Well, we can be thankful for the comfort of God's word, right? Greg showed us last week that there is purpose in our trials that we might receive comfort from the Lord and overflow with comfort to others. We can be thankful for God's work, Romans 5.3 tells us that we can rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produces endurance and character and hope in the love of God. God has designated our trials to refine us and develop in us a greater hope in who God is and what he is doing. And so we can also be thankful because of God's will, that despite our negative experiences, we know that God is always working. He's working all things according to his purposes for our good according to his perfect intention. Knowing and trusting in God's word, his work, and his will should fuel our thanksgiving through every trial. Now, being thankful for everything is not just about our circumstances. It's also about our preferences. Our thankfulness must not be conditional excuse me, on our desires. I'll give you an example. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul exhorts Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for whom? All people, for kings 
and rulers who are in high positions. Paul wants us to give thanks, among other things, for all rulers. And sometimes I think when we're considering praying for our boss or our leaders or our president, we think only about praying for their salvation, particularly if they're not on our side. I remember when I was in middle school and high school, my church would encourage us to pray for the president's salvation. I'm not going to tell you when I was born, so you know who the president was. But praying for the president's salvation is good, right? But I was pretty sure that they were implying that we needed to pray for his salvation because apart from God's divine intervention, nothing good could come of that presidency. Have you ever prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for the president of the other party? Thank you, God, for Donald Trump. And thank you, God, for Joe Biden. Does one of those sound blasphemous to you? Did we only pray that the midterm election would go the way we wanted? Or have we in the last two weeks been thankful that they even happened and that the outcome was always in God's hands? Are we thankful that God places into authority those whom he chooses? Are we thankful that God is able to turn the hearts of kings? Even in the Bible, God uses evil nations and evil people to accomplish his good purposes. When our hearts are thankful to God, our preferences also fall by the wayside. There's another area. Be thankful despite our circumstances, despite our preferences. Also, you know what else? Be thankful no matter your convictions or how they differ from others. Now that sounds like blasphemy, right? But look at Romans 14. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Romans 14 talks about judging each other, particularly a more mature believer judging a younger believer. And in this example, each side holds to a completely opposite conviction when it comes to eating certain foods and observing certain holy days. And do you know what God says about that? Romans 14, 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Both parties are doing exact opposite actions, but both give thanks to God. And guess what? God is therefore honored by both. By acting on their personal convictions and not violating their own conscience, they are each able to act without sin and be thankful and so give glory to God. Both honor God despite their different actions and their differing level of spiritual maturity and their differing depth of theological knowledge. So what does this all mean? The takeaway is this. Everything means everything. Be thankful no matter what. In Warren Wearsby's commentary, he uses this illustration for something else, but I'm going to borrow it and apply it to the idea of thankfulness. Our thankfulness can be like a thermometer. That is, our level of thankfulness rises and falls with the changing environment around us. When things are going our way, we are more thankful, and when they're not, we're less thankful. Just one possibility. But what if, instead of a thermometer, our thanksgiving is like a thermostat? A thermostat is set. It's fixed to a particular temperature that does not waver, despite whatever is going on outside. Our degree of thankfulness is supposed to be fixed, and so it determines and controls our own spiritual temperature, if you will, no matter what is going on out there. Is your thankfulness a thermometer or a thermostat? Does it rise and fall with what's going on around you, or is it determined and set despite whatever undesirable circumstances may arise, no matter what valleys the Lord causes you to go through? 
But James, you might say, you don't know how bad my job is. But God does. And he says to give thanks. You might say, James, you have no idea what my kids are like at home. But God does. And he says, give thanks. James, you don't know how much pain I'm in right now. I'm trying to hide. But God does. And he says, give thanks. And don't get me wrong. God is not being harsh. He's not telling us to just suck it up and praise him because that's what he likes from us. No, God wants us to see that we can trust him and worship him because he is in control. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Look, I'm not saying that it's easy. Even for a thermostat, when the temperature outside rises to extremes, the central air has to work harder. Gratitude may sometimes be a struggle. We may not always feel it. But remember, thanksgiving isn't a feeling or an emotion. It's an active response to what God has done. It's us remembering and proclaiming God's grace no matter what is happening. It's saying, I might not have chosen this for myself, but God has chosen it for me, and I trust him. He's faithful, and so I am thankful. This has been a difficult year for my family. In January, my sister Doreen was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer, and it was a huge shock since we have no family history, and she's only two years older than me. And what followed was a whirlwind of appointments, research, test treatments, and lots and lots of prayers. And then August, my wife Stephanie came down with an acute but unknown illness that has racked her entire body with intermittent and severe pain. And after an ER visit, multiple MRIs, and other scans over the course of a few months, and we've pursued neurology and rheumatology specialists all to dead ends, and they've washed their hands of our case, we still have no official diagnosis. In the meantime, our schedule has been upended with her appointments and her inability to drive. And on top of her ongoing physical condition, we've been really disappointed in having to pull back from our ministry commitments, from our travel plans, and slowing down my seminary studies as well. Now, Doreen's family and our family would not have asked for these things to happen. But our situations have created countless opportunities for thanksgiving as never before. It has been said that in the darkest valleys, we see the brightest stars. Steph and I thank God that we have received much comfort through you all, through your prayers and texts and your day-to-day -day help with rides and meals and child care and medical referrals. We've been so blessed to share in the love of the body of Christ here at Zoe and to receive from you all. We've been blessed by our own families coming out here and staying with us to help. And at the same time, though, my sister's journey has also been difficult, filled with pain and loss and sacrifice. Last weekend, Doreen shared a Thanksgiving testimony at her church, recounting God's faithfulness time and time again, praising him for miracle after miracle in her diagnosis and her treatment and her care. Now, this isn't just my story. Because looking out there, I know a lot of you are suffering right now as well. I know it's been a hard year for relationships it's been a year full of loss, for troubles at work, for unexpected medical diagnoses. But whatever difficulty you are facing right now, what can you be thankful for? The ability to give thanks always for everything starts inside of us. But it doesn't start from us. You see, what is inside of us?
Who is inside of us? Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a contrast of control. On the one hand, we see the foolishness of the world turning to strong drink and excess and reckless indulgence, giving themselves over to a temporary and fleshly high in order to escape the woes of this evil age. But for the believer, we are to be controlled by something else entirely. We are to give ourselves over to the control of the one who will never let us down, the Holy Spirit who is given to all believers and who fills us more powerfully and more effectively than any alcohol. The filling of the Holy Spirit is about his complete possession and his pervasive influence. It's the picture of the sails of a boat, which when filled with the wind and billowing, the vessel is overcome and directed in the course as influenced by the wind that fills its sails. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are left to the Spirit's direction, completely given over to his leading, and the Holy Spirit causes us to be thankful always and for everything. And so we turn now from what is inside to what is outside as we give thanks to God the Father in the name of God the Son. So here we see the last two points, the goal and the glory of thanksgiving. First, the goal of thanksgiving, which is worship. And verse 20 says, we are to give thanks to God the Father. Give thanks to God the Father. Thanksgiving is our act of worship. Remember, Paul has listed out four uniquely Christian things, right? Four things that differentiate the Christian from the world. But can't non-Christians be thankful? I mean, we just had a national holiday about it. It's not a Christian holiday. Well, I think it can be argued that Thanksgiving definitely sets the Christian apart because a Christian, in his gratitude, actually has somebody to thank. You see, the same God we pray to is the same God that we give thanks to. The world doesn't have anybody to pray to. They either pray to a false God altogether, made by human hands and completely powerless, or they pray to the universe, throwing up some vain thoughts and and hopes and dreams and wishes, and in return, the world has no one real to thank, except perhaps their lucky stars. You can't give thanks if you have no one to give it to. This Christmas, I can't just give gifts. Giving has a recipient. Likewise, gratitude is directed. And for the believer, our object of thanksgiving, worship, and praise is God. With our thanksgiving, we worship the God behind it all. When we are thankful, all our achievements are now due his strength. All our experiences are now due his will. And all our joys are now due his goodness. And here's how we see God the Father, specifically the Father, in Scripture. The Father created all things and rules everything with his sovereign power. The Father makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall. The Father knows everything we need before we ask. The Father feeds the sparrows and clothes the flowers. The Father numbers the hairs on our head. The Father gives good gifts to his children. And knowing these things and many more about the Father, we give thanks according to who he is. You see, when we thank God, we proclaim his grace because he is a God gracious and merciful. When we thank God, we declare his goodness because he is a good father who gives every good gift. When we thank God, we recognize his authority and power over our lives and we submit ourselves to his will. And even where things are still perhaps unknown or unclear, we wait patiently for him 
for the Lord is our salvation. When we give thanks to God according to who he is and what he has done or what he will do and what he has promised, that is true worship. The goal is worship. Now, did you ever realize that the perfect worship of heaven is characterized by thanksgiving? It is. In the book of Revelation, we see the heavenly beings around the throne. And in Revelation 4, 9, it says the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. They thank him. In Revelation 7, John sees the great multitude of every believer from every nation, tribe, and tongue, all dressed in white and praising God for his salvation. And all the angels worship, crying out, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And a few chapters later, at the end of the judgment, again, heaven proclaims, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. We thank you. Listen, the worship songs of heaven are filled with thanksgiving. We will sing with the angels, thank you for being God. Thank you for always being. Thank you for never changing. Thank you for creating. Thank you for saving. Thank you for reigning. Thank you for ruling. In heaven, our thanksgiving will be perfected and permanently ongoing forever. Now, one commentator writes, if it is to be eternal, then the pleasure of thanksgiving must never lose its relish. That is, we will never bore or tire of giving thanks. And guess what, brothers and sisters? That is already true today. That on this earth, in this lifetime, God's grace and mercies are new every morning. And each new mercy ought to be seen as a new occasion for gratitude. And so already our thanksgiving renews day to day, morning by morning, moment by moment, for the remainder of our earthly lives and all of our eternal existence never to be exhausted. So the goal of continual thanksgiving is our eternal worship of God our Father. And last of all, we see the glory of thanksgiving. The glory, verse 20 ends with the fourth phrase, we give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does it mean that something is done in the name of Jesus Christ? Your mind might first go to the disciples healing the sick and casting out demons in the name of Christ. And so you think it's about Jesus' authority and his power invested in them. Certainly authority is a part of it. But we're also told to pray in his name, and I don't think that means we pray by his authority vested in us. I think there, it means that we ask according to his will. Scripture also tells us to baptize in his name, to teach in his name, to gather together in his name. In fact, do everything in the name of Christ Jesus, we read in Colossians 3. And so now we're getting the bigger picture, that this is all about Christ's reputation and Christ's renown, as we sung about. That everything we do exalts Christ and proclaims him to bring glory to his name. When we give thanks in his name, we recognize that all things are through him and to him and for him and for his glory. The reason we can thank God always and for everything is because the end of all things always is ultimately the glory of Jesus. Everything will be shown to glorify Christ, even sin and wrath and righteous judgment. So when we are thankful then, the point is that Jesus Christ himself is glorified. Our thanksgiving gives glory and honor and praise to Jesus because we do it as his faithful servants. 
in the way he prescribed, according to his will, dependent on his power for his name's sake, for his renown. Whatever we do in word or deed, our goal and aim is that his name be made great and that Christ be upheld as ultimately praiseworthy and glorious. And that's Paul's point in Ephesians and Colossians. If we are truly God's people, saved by his grace, indwelt by his spirit, we must walk in a way that points to the greatness of Christ as our Savior. We must glorify him and him alone. So as we wrap up, what's the application? How do we grow in thanksgiving? Do we set phone alarms to remind us to pray throughout the day? Do we need to stop in the midst of a busy season today, pausing for a quiet prayer time for five minutes at the end of this sermon? That would be almost too easy. And honestly, it would be missing the point. Because look, this passage is not a command to follow. I said at the beginning, these are not imperatives. This list of things is how Christians are already supposed to be if we're walking rightly. Paul is saying that in the Spirit, you have already a permanently changed disposition, an ongoing heart of worship, gratitude, and humility. So no, we can't just pause here and be thankful today and then call it a day and move toward Christmas. Instead, we need to ask, how do we grow in thankfulness? How do we continue in faithfulness and cultivate this thing that we're already supposed to have? The French poet and author of The Little Prince, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, has been quoted saying this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood, don't assign them tasks and to work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You get it? He's saying, if you want people to sail, don't bog them down with the labor. Don't send them into the forest for the wood. Point them first to the sea. Make them dream, and the work will be done. In the same way, brothers and sisters, as much as I would like to, I can't tell you to be thankful. I must not bog you down with rules or with habit-building techniques or emphasize the value of accountability. If I want you to be thankful, I just need to show you God. And that's exactly what Paul was doing for the church in Ephesus. Turn back with me to chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And skip to the middle of verse 3. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Does the gospel of salvation of Jesus Christ draw out thankfulness in you? Or do you take it for granted and proudly say, I deserve it, and I deserve more? If you are a child of God, it must arouse thanksgiving because we were once darkness, children of wrath, lost and without hope, dead in our sins and trespasses, deserving of eternal punishment. And what saved us? Not we ourselves, not our works, not our doing, not our effort, not our good deeds. What saved us? The kindness of God in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross on our behalf reconciles us to God the Father. By grace you have been saved. It is the gift of God. You hear that? It is the grace gift of God. And so together we behold this and we must say, what good grace. What good grace. If you believe this gospel, if you've personally experienced God's extravagant grace, then you, my brothers and sisters, have seen and tasted the vast immensity of the sea. And so I don't need to tell you that it's shipbuilding time. But now you must have nowhere else to go except to fall down before God in thankfulness, in unbounded gratitude overflowing from a redeemed heart. You whose sin once knew no bounds, having been saved by God's infinitely greater grace, and now the Holy Spirit, who is continually filling you, bursts open your sails to carry you along in a lifetime of continual gratitude, undying and undimmed until Christ returns and forevermore. If you're not a Christian and you haven't heard these things before, this is the message of the Bible. God's divine purpose and plan was that although we have all sinned against him, he offers us grace, forgiveness, eternal life, peace with him forever in heaven. This grace is a free gift from God the Father, and it must be received by faith. If this is news to you today, I encourage you to talk to someone here at Zoe. Come talk to me or any of the pastors. We'd love to share more with you. But for now, we're going to close with a time of worship and song. If you will, we're going to step into this spirit-filled musical. And as we do so, this is our opportunity to live out this text, okay? 
The Holy Spirit of God fills us such that we must naturally overflow in corporate singing, in musical worship, with all gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts to God. And so we say together, what a great and gracious Savior he is. Let us look to him who saved us, and let us rejoice in his great salvation, and let us say grace. Let's pray. Marvelous and gracious, loving God, we bow before you to recognize and to proclaim your grace that we have received. We exalt Christ, our Lord, our Savior, your Son, through whom this grace was accomplished and given. And as we often sing, it is your grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. It's your grace that pardons. It's your grace that cleanses within. It's your grace alone that is greater than all of our sins and trespasses against you. And now, having received such abundant grace, Lord, turn our hearts to you in thanksgiving, not in selfish pride, thinking we deserve this in any way, but to turn to you and fall at your feet and thank you for what you have done that we have received such abundant grace. Lord, we return with grateful hearts. Help us now by your spirit to proclaim your grace together as your church as we offer to you this gift of thanksgiving. May you be glorified. We praise you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.